Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. My name is Keller. I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Um, The scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Um, And it's printed on the screen behind me and on page 5 of your worship guide. Let's read. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, "Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea." Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. One second, guys. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with the golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have seen the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time to come together, to hear your word, to worship, um, to be encouraged and to learn. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Joel, that you would use the words that he speaks here to convict us, to grow us, and to encourage us. Um, And Lord, that through this, we would be reminded of your great love and um, find the strength to love others of you who have loved us. God, I just pray that you would um, reveal yourself through this passage. Um, A lot of revelations can be really confusing. Um, So Lord, we just pray that you'd be present here um, as Joel preaches this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. It's always amazing when uh, you're starting a new sermon series and the person who does the scripture reading in their prayers like, man, this can be confusing. (laughs) Please help Pastor Joel. Uh, I need it and I'm thankful for it. Uh, Revelation is quite a challenge. And uh, in our staff meeting, when we talked about uh, what to preach next some weeks ago and we began to throw around ideas, Uh, Revelation, I've preached one sermon in my 12 years of pastoral ministry from the book of Revelation, and that that was during the pandemic. So as a church, in the weeks ahead, we are kicking off uh, and will cover uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, you'll hear this, in Silver Spring, there's a common mistake uh, to uh, pluralize, right, to say, oh, you're in Silver Springs. Um, And it's a real shibboleth between those who know Silver Spring and those who don't know Silver Spring, right? Uh, And uh, Revelation, it's very similar. So there's a tendency for some, and Keller didn't do this, she said, it's it's Revelation singular, uh, just like Silver Spring singular, Revelation singular, And it is uh, a part of Scripture that brings some diversity to the New Testament. Uh, In the books of the Bible, it is a lot like uh, a music app or website playlist, where when you go and you can browse around and there's a variety of different genres uh, that you can listen to, right? So, hey, I want to do top 100 pop. Then you can find playlists for that, and it'll just stream music to you. Uh, or if you want to listen, you feel like it's a throwback Sunday, and so you want to listen to stuff that you heard when you were growing up, then you can likely find that decade or that period and listen to that. Uh, and then uh, whatever types of music you like, you can go to for whatever mood you're in. Let's say you're going to go work out, you can find a, a set of or a playlist that's designed to play a certain beats per minute in order to invigorate, I guess, is the idea, your activities. Well, Scripture, on the whole, the English Bibles that we have, uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is a bit like that. It's diverse. Uh, There isn't just one writer of the book of Scripture, uh, one human writer, I should say. Uh, There isn't uh, just one genre or element of Scripture. In fact, we hear of God's history of dealing with people. We uh, read narratives of the things that Jesus taught. We can sing songs and hear poetry, both poetry of great praise and rejoicing, 
as well as poetry of lament and despair and suffering. And in Revelation, we have this element, this genre, that is a bit different. It includes parts of that, but it is designed to trigger your imagination. And so if you tend to be a creative type, Revelation is for you. It may trigger all sorts of things in your head and invite you to think in new ways about just what God is doing in our world. Now, if you're here and you're a scientific type and you really love logic, then treat Revelation as an invitation to you to think in fresh ways about who God is and about what he's doing in our world. It's not that it is divorced from that narrative or from those songs, from the highs and lows of the life of the church and what God is doing. Rather, Revelation presents that. What has been, what is now, and it is what is yet to come in creative, imaginative ways for the sake of you and our church to help us to persevere in the highs and lows. That's the value of Revelation. And so sometimes uh, in the history of the church, people can uh, struggle a little bit to take it on because of the imagery and some of the stuff that we'll talk about in just a moment. And so they ignore it uh, wholesale, right? So they just ignore it and set aside, I'm never reading that stuff. Uh, and then there are a few po folks who are like, apocalyptic? I love that. Uh, and they become infatuated with it. And that's all they want to talk about. Apocalyptic vision, uh, what are signs of the apocalypse, uh, what in the world the seven seals are, and how that's going to come to bear. Uh, they uh, think uh, in very creative and imaginative ways about dates and uh, what's happening when and what's the order. Almost too much. And so in the coming weeks, what I invite you to do as a church, whether you're visiting us or whether you're a member at Mosaic Silver Spring, is to try to dive into Revelation in a way that doesn't fall into the trap of just ignoring it. If this is new to you, it's certainly new to us as a staff and leadership team. But to also not become infatuated and get lost in questions that Revelation isn't designed to answer. If I could summarize, what is going to be put before you again and again is in the ups and downs of your life today, Jesus Christ is king. And because of what he's done, you can know that that's true and that that is the driving hope in good times and in bad for the future. That is a fundamental Christian claim, and that is part of the value of revelation and how it comes to bear on our lives. And so we're going to look at that actually in two points this morning, the pressures on our lives and the promise from the king. So first, the pressures on our lives. Revelation, it opens with a bit of a prologue in verses one through three. Uh, you get introduced to what's happening here, a sort of chain of communication that Jesus Christ, through an angel, through a guy named John, to the churches, is presenting them with a vision of what God is doing. And in verse 3, Keller is blessed. And you are blessed this morning. Because in verse 3 it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear 
And then I hope, this is true of all of us, blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That concludes the prologue. And then in verses 4 and 5, John does kind of a standard greeting, right? This is uh, typical in um, uh, letters or emails or forms that we communicate, I guess, with the exception of text, but more formal letters or emails. We, there's usually a structure to it, a flow, a way that you put in uh, uh, signals to someone, hey, I'm writing to you about something. And that's how verses 4 and 5 function in a first century letter. Uh, John would uh, introduce who he is and who he's writing to. He would send a type of blessing to them, grace and peace to you, uh, and then unpack that uh, just a bit. And then in the second half of verse 5 down through verse 8, there is a tad more description of what's going on. And then we get to the meat of the book. In verses 9 through 20, or at least the opening chapter of the book, John writes to them, and he gives a sense of where he's writing from. He's been exiled. Life is not great for him. But he recognizes that the churches in modern-day Turkey, churches in Asia, and he lists seven of them in verse 11, they are going through a variety of different pressures in life. And so while John has his own individual pressures in Patmos, in what he is about to unfold in Revelation, he's writing because he recognizes there are seven churches in Asia Minor, which was like a province of Rome, but you can kind of think Western, modern-day Turkey. Uh, he's writing to them, to encourage them and point them to the reality that Christ is king. He's also writing to do very real business with not only what has happened through the work of Jesus Christ, and not only the pressures that they are facing now, but how that's connected to Christ's return. And so as he unpacks it, I want to just note that in the coming weeks, we're going to look more specifically in a focused kind of way as a community at the variety of churches because they were different. The pressures and struggles that they faced, for some of them, they wanted to just be superficially seen as good, uh, but they didn't really care much about what God had to say. So they were kind of superficially religious, uh, but didn't actually love people or engage with any amount of sacrifice in the needs of the world that they lived in. Then there were other people who loved God deeply, but were being actively persecuted. That is because they declared, we believe that Jesus is king. There were powers and authorities who said, no, 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 you can't say that. I'm king. And if you want to say that, it's going to cost you something. Property, a job, your freedom, Maybe your life. And so John's writing to them to say, wow, those are very steep or high stakes in this faith declaration. How do you hold on to it? Jesus is king, John writes. Then there are people who seem to, on the face of things, life is going fairly well for them. They're wealthy, relatively speaking, to the rest of the churches in Asia. They... Um, have some measure of comfort. 
Um, but that seems to be the animating purpose for their lives. Uh, the pressure to get more, to hold on to what you have, uh, and to sit comfortably with it. And to navigate through networking uh, or through power plays or through wise investment to maintain that status at whatever cost. And John writes to them and says, wow, uh, that's not the way that you want to live. That's living in such a way that makes you step up onto the throne of controlling your own destiny. And you got to watch out for that. It's not that you're not competent or that you haven't done well. John writes to them, but that you can let that become your sole identity. You can let that compromise your own faith. You can't say Jesus is king and act in the day in and day out like you alone reign. And so John writes to warn them about the dangers of that. And so in the number seven in uh, John and in his style of writing, uh, I don't know if you caught this when Keller was reading, seven is dropped quite a lot, right? Um, seven spirits, uh, seven lampstands, uh, later seven seals, uh, and here seven churches that he's writing to. And there were more, uh, likely much more than seven churches in Asia Minor at the time. But seven has a connotation of completeness, of giving a full picture, uh, a full accounting, a sense of wholeness. It was the number of days of the week. And people who are listening, when they would hear the number seven, it would trigger for them like, oh, okay, he's covering the ground here. And that is how Revelation comes to bear in 2022 in Montgomery County for you and for I. Because the churches that he was writing to, they had a variety of different pressures. But the sense is the seven churches that he chose is going to cover quite a lot that Christians don't face in Asia Minor or in Western Turkey. They don't just face in the first century, but pressures that continue to this day. The pressures that we may feel individually to uh, be self-sufficient and self-reliant in every avenue of our lives. To uh, follow the plan that's been laid out for us by our parents or by our culture or uh, by our own individual desires. And to execute that plan as best we can. And by doing so, we think, I'm in charge and I control these things. And that, those letters to the seven churches are going to come to bear to challenge you to say, how and in what ways do you recognize that Jesus is king? And how does that help inform and shape and maybe comfort you when things don't go your way? He's going to write to churches who are facing persecution for their faith, who it makes them unpopular or not well-liked or even physically persecuted for the reality of their Christian declaration. And he's going to say, here's how you hold on in the midst of that. When the stakes of your faith grow, the pressure increases in a way that it begins to bear down on you. How can you hold up with that? John's writing to say, that's not new, sisters and brothers. That's not a, a new phenomenon or a new pressure. Jesus is king. I hope there's great encouragement here in these pastoral letters 
to those seven churches, for those of you who are struggling, who maybe have felt all those pressures that you have to achieve or uh, that you need to walk certain directions and accomplish certain things, that you need to network with certain people, you need to make something of your name, whatever those pressures may be, that when you don't live up to them, it leaves you with the sense of anxiety and fear, a bit of an identity crisis, so to speak. And so John, in writing these letters and sharing the revelation that God has given him, is reaching out to people in the midst of their distress. These are pastoral letters. They're designed not merely to communicate information, and they're designed not merely to make really bold faith proclamations, although they do, but they're also designed to reach out to to us in our own corporate and individual struggles, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally, or relationally, and to say the reality that Jesus is king It means something for us today. And that's what we're going after in the weeks ahead. Now, how can that be? That seems like a bold claim. Wait, Joel, you're saying that this guy, John's writing this apocalypse some 2,000 years ago about the realities of physical and mental and emotional anguish, and you're saying that that comes to bear in my life. How can that be? And John unpacks it, and he says it basically relates to the promise from the king. In verses 12 and following, you get vivid, vivid imagery. Uh, uh, This imagery is not designed uh, for you to do a one-to-one correspondence picture of what Jesus looks like. That's not what's going on here, okay? Uh, What happens uh, and what I'm about to cover is not meant to be like a draw-by-the-numbers thing to say, oh, that's what Jesus looks like. Rather, It's this imaginative language that's pulling, it's echoing, it's bringing in the promises and declarations of Ezekiel and Daniel, those prophets, and the language they used to describe what it would be like when God arrived. That is the language that's getting used. So throughout these passages, as I, and I'm going to read them in just a moment, what you should be thinking of is echoes back to the prophet Ezekiel and how he described what God is doing and what it will look like. And the prophet Daniel, who in the midst of his own struggle said, this is what it's going to look like when the Son of Man comes, when the Ancient of Days arrives, when the promises of old are made good on, Here's what it's going to look like, and this is what John describes. In verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, figurative language for the churches. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." Often modern-day pictures of Jesus can describe him as meek and soft 
and uh, a really good listener. And all of those things, in some ways, uh, are true. But it's not the full picture of who Jesus is today. And in Revelation and with the declaration that Jesus is king, there is this component that Jesus is returning and he is going to be a fierce sight. That when the Son of Man returns, it is not going to feel soft and there isn't going to be uh, lots of listening. That it is going to be fierce. That it will involve justice. That a calling of accounts will occur. This is the declaration that Jesus is king. That Jesus has overcome for you and I. In that opening section, when John's writing about the revelation, he says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest as God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What John's describing, he's holding together these pictures of Jesus, the good teacher, Jesus, the gracious and caring shepherd, as well as Jesus, the son of man, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, that is the beginning and the end, uh, the one who is going to come with a word of justice and judgment that will be meaningful and have impact on evildoers as well as on those who have suffered, on both the perpetrators as well as the victims. King Jesus will have something to say upon his return. And it's that promise of Christ's return that comes to bear to meet us in the midst of our own individual circumstances. And so the picture of Revelation is what King Jesus has accomplished in his perfect life and in his death and in his resurrection, declaring victory over sin and death for you and I. What is happening right now in those churches and even today in our church and in our cultural moment and what is to come, King Jesus, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, returning. Those things held together is what the book of Revelation is painting in vivid imagery for you and for I. It's our call to hope in the weeks ahead. It's our call to do business with that declaration is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Is that something that rings true to you and something that you say, yeah, of course. Why else would I wake up on a Sunday morning early uh, to come here to sing and to worship? It's because Jesus is King. And I have an opportunity to declare that with sisters and brothers, not just here in Montgomery County, but across the world this morning. Or whether you're at a spot where you say, I'm not sure what I make of that. And I'm not sure how what Jesus has done comes to bear on my circumstances. And I'm not sure what my future hope is. Either way, you are invited and encouraged in the weeks ahead to consider, to take on, to try out, to listen to, to do business with the declaration that Jesus is King. John invites us in, sometimes in 
uh, as Keller said, strange or difficult to understand language, to take that on, to recognize that God loves us and frees us in Jesus, and that that comes to bear on our lives today. That is our hope to be faithful lampstands as a church, so to speak. That is our hope, the light that we shine to the world around us. It's not that we have it all together. It's not that we're a perfected perfected church. It is that we know the King and have access to Him through faith and cling tightly to Him in the ups and downs of life. That's our mission as a community, to point each other and the world around us to the light of Christ. Let me pray. God, I ask that we would do that faithfully, and that as we open up and work through Revelation together as a church, uh, that you will encourage us, challenge us, raise questions, and answer them through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.